listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. He was born in a one-room log cabin in Kentucky on February 12th, 1809. And he grew up to be the 16th president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln is considered by many historians to be one of the greatest presidents this country ever had. He, he was president of the United States during a constitutional and moral crisis. President of the United States during a constitutional and moral crisis. Many of you would agree that today in this country we are also facing a constitutional and moral crisis of epic historic proportions. Well, Abraham Lincoln is famous for speeches that he gave. He was involved in the Lincoln-Douglas debates and the first time around lost his Senate seat to Douglas. Then he went on to greater, greener pastures and became the President of the United States. Lincoln was attributed to have said many significant things that we would do well to take note of today. Among them, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln also said, always bear in mind your own resolution to succeed. Success is more important than any one thing. And that's what I want to talk about today, success. My success, your success, what does it mean to be successful from God's perspective? Or, to put it another way, you really only need one pair of underwear to succeed. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus gives the great commission. Look with me at our Father's word, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us our marching orders. He casts the vision for every disciple to be able to take note of the teaching of Jesus, the marching order of Jesus, the vision of Jesus. It's absolutely imperative. It's imperative that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing. If you are a follower of God, If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the main thing must be the main thing, and the main thing is to go into all the world as you're going, wherever you're going, to make disciples of all people, regardless of their color, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their poverty status, or whether they're rich. Don't discriminate against somebody, not only if they're poor, but also if they're rich. Regardless of who that person is, They need Jesus. You needed Jesus before you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You still need Jesus if Jesus is your Savior and Lord. And you are called primarily, first and foremost, above and beyond all other things, to be immersed in the vision, the mission of Jesus in every 
every part of your life, every part of my life is to revolve around Jesus Christ and the priorities of Jesus. Every part of our life is to revolve around the person of Jesus Christ and the priorities of Jesus. And if that's not happening in your life, then what type of a disciple are you? A disciple is somebody who is following another. That's what it means to be a disciple. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful with the passing of time, you, I, will follow somebody, something else other than the leader of leaders, Jesus Christ. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to keep Jesus as the center of your life or to make Jesus the center of your life if he is not. And to have all the rest of your life revolving around the person, the works, the mission of Jesus. Today we need to clean our plates. We need to hit reset. And we need to rediscover, and for some of us, discover for the very first time, the priority, the greatest, the first and foremost priority of your life. Every part of your life, every part of my life must have momentum, must be pushing, moving forward for the glory of God, following Jesus Christ. And that is measured in proportion. Make no mistake about it. It is measured in proportion to how you are making disciples of other people. There must be something about your life, central to your life, that you are a replicator. People should be able to look at your life and say, I want to follow, fill in the blank with your name. I want to follow you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. We could end in prayer right now. That's what it's about. We are to be about the business of Jesus, and the business of Jesus is to teach other people how to follow Jesus as an overflow of you yourself personally following Jesus. If you are really following Jesus, if you're really a disciple, every part of your life will be revolving around the teachings of Jesus, your rabbi par excellence. The one who gives you the teachings from the word of God. That's what the rabbi would be doing. And not only would your life be revolving around the teachings of Jesus, be careful you're not following Jesus in a vacuum. That would be a self-imposed vacuum. Jesus doesn't call anybody to follow him in a vacuum. Haven't you noticed that when you woke up today, you were in something called the world? To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow not only the teachings of Jesus, but to follow the teachings of Jesus in such a way. It means to follow the teachings of Jesus in such a way that your lifestyle changes. My lifestyle changes. Listen, nobody is perfect. And if you don't believe that, ask the person you're sitting next to right now about you. And they will help you understand that they're sitting next to somebody who is not perfect. Find the, the perfect church. Find the perfect church. Join it, and you have ruined it.
Discipleship is not about perfection. It's about a long obedience in the same direction. You will stumble in the course of your life if you want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be a follower of God. Get over it. Breathe a sigh of relief. You will make mistakes. You will make blunders. Some of them will be minor. Some of them will be major. But Jesus does not disqualify you because of your sin. He died on the cross because of your sin. He does not have a backup plan. You are the plan. The plan is that imperfect, sinful, sin-filled people, incapable of helping themselves, including myself, would be rescued while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Get over it. That's the gospel. You have flaws. You have zits. You still do. They were not coming to, they did not come to an end after your teenage years. I'm sorry to tell you that. There are more zits and imperfections on the horizon. However, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the good news is that Jesus is in process with you. Is that not good news, that Jesus is in process with you? That he who began a good work will be faithful to complete what he starts? Now listen, many of us start things and never finish them, but God finishes what he starts. And the work that he began in you, he began it. He will be faithful to complete what he began in you. That's the God of the Bible. Make no mistake about it. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about lifestyle. That's what it's about. It's about lifestyle. I mean, what is the Bible about if it's not about lifestyle? God is in the business. He's in the process of changing the way you live. Can we get over that too? Can we embrace that and acknowledge the fact that that is what being a disciple is all about? The whole purpose of following Jesus is that more and more with the passing of time, you will become, I will become more like Jesus. Less selfish in which my world revolves around me, myself, and I. And the world begins to revolve around more and more and more the great I am, Jesus. God is in the business of changing lives. Don't you forget it for a moment. There's hope for you if you've given your life to Jesus Christ in a way that there's no hope for people who haven't because something happened to you when you gave your life to Christ. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, something will happen the moment you give your life to Christ that sets you on a new journey. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You make the word of God a priority in your life because it's not possible to follow and worship a God you do not know, and God will change you. Listen, there are many people who think that it's possible to follow God on their own terms. When you're married, when you're early in your marriage, for those of us who are married, you thought you knew what your spouse needed. Can we talk about this for a moment? You thought you knew what your spouse needed because primarily that was based on your own selfish understanding of what you need and what you want. And so what do we do early on in marriage? How many of you believe what I'm saying? You give your spouse what you want and you don't understand that what you want and what you need, your love language might be fundamentally different from the love language of the person you married. And oftentimes that's the way it works. God puts somebody who likes hugging like an Italian 
with somebody who might not necessarily love to hug and to cuddle. Now, I'm fortunate because my wife loves both of those things. So I got a double whammy in a great way. But God often puts a verbal with a nonverbal. Somebody who likes to receive gifts as demonstrations of affection and love with somebody who the gifts don't mean much, I need time. I feel valued when I get time from my spouse. So when you're married for a longer period of time, you learn those mistakes and you realize, how many of you can, can identify with that? You realize your spouse's love language and you've matured and you've grown and you realize that the best way for you to love your spouse is to give your spouse what they need and to ask the question, when is it and how is it that you feel most loved, most valued? What can I do to help you appreciate the fact that I love you and I'm concerned about you and I care for you. You learn your spouse's love language and you give your spouse love in a way that's credible and meaningful for them. In the same way, transition, we love and we serve God, not in the way that we think means the most to him, but in the way that he tells us is the most to him, which is why the Bible is so important. The reason the Bible is so important is because it's all about lifestyle. God wants your life to conform to what he has taught in the black and white of scripture. And so if you are a disciple, you will make the prioritization of your life, learning the word of God so that you can put it into action. See, in Luke chapter 9, turn with me in Luke chapter 9, in verse 1. Jesus calls the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And it says, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Tunics, the tunic was the undergarment, the underwear. One piece of underwear is all they needed, not two. And Jesus is sending them out. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Verse 1. Jesus called the 12 together. The apostles gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. The Talmudim, plural of the Talmud. A Talmud is a disciple, the Hebrew word for a disciple. Disciple of who? The rabbi. We have to understand the Jewish context in which the gospel is being presented. Jesus would have been a rabbi with, with a Talmud, a disciple. More than one disciple Talmudim, disciples. And what would the disciple be doing? Listening to the teachings of the rabbi, listening to the rabbi's interpretation of the Old Testament so that the disciples would understand how to 
live. Yes, the whole Bible's about lifestyle. You can't worship and serve a God you don't know if you don't understand the Word of God. You want to love God? You've got to prioritize knowing the God of His Word, because otherwise you might fall into a trap of trying to give God something He never asked you to give Him. You might not be speaking God's love language. You might not be living God's love language, because the truth is, a disciple knows the Word of God, grows in their understanding of the Word of God so that we can give God worship and a lifestyle that he really wants. Don't let anybody tell you that it's just up to you how you live. No. And yes, it's not up to you and me to determine what God should accept as if God needs to accept whatever we want to give him, however we want to give it. No, it's up to us, yes, that we need to live our lives in such a way that we are giving God what he's asked for, and there's no surprises at the end of the day. And so a disciple of the rabbi would be listening to the teachings of Scripture, listening to the interpretation of Scripture that the rabbi was giving and putting it into action. They would have Scripture memorized and be in the process of memorizing Scripture more and more. And we see Jesus exercising the hint principle or the hint practice in Scripture again and again. What do I mean by that? It means that oftentimes a rabbi would teach and reference a particular part of an Old Testament scripture, because that's all they had in the first century before the scriptures came into be. The New Testament came to be part of the scripture. They would reference a part of an Old Testament passage and assume and expect that the disciple would either know the rest of the context of that passage, know the rest of the scripture, or go back and study the rest of it to get the full teaching. It's called today in hindsight a hint principle or a hint methodology, kind of we could say a wink. And we see Jesus doing that repeatedly, mentioning a portion of an Old Testament scripture where then if you go back, you see it when I'm teaching where Jesus will quote an Old Testament passage of Scripture, and I'll take you to that Old Testament passage and read it in its entirety or its context where we gain a fuller insight. The disciple would be listening to the teachings of Jesus, putting them to, into action, listening to the commentary, and that's true today as well. If you are a follower of God, if you want to be a follower of God, if you're really going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to be in the Word of God, the Bible, and you've got to be putting it into practice because you cannot love and serve a God you do not know. You cannot love and serve a God on your own terms at the expense of giving him what he has required, what he has asked for. Don't let anybody tell you that the Bible's not about lifestyle. Don't let anybody try to tell you that living and serving God happens in a vacuum. It happens out in the real world, the real course of life. And what we see Jesus doing here is beginning to pass the baton on to the 11 of the 12 upon whom the church would be built. The teachings of Jesus and the work of the apostles. Apostles do apostolic foundational work. Why do I say the 11 of the 12 when it says here that he sent out the 12? Because we know that Judas Iscariot was a traitor. He was a phony baloney. And we all know here in York, Pennsylvania, we love real baloney, don't we? Judas was a phony baloney. 
in a fascinating way, he was one of the 12 who was given power and authority to cast out not some demons, all demons, and to cure people of diseases. We know that the power and the authority is given to them. It's not intrinsic. This is why Judas was able to be one of the 12. Don't get all excited about the spiritual gifts that God has given you because you didn't determine them anyway. They don't rest upon you. They rest upon God giving them to you. In fact, Jesus said, many will come to me someday and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, heal the sick, do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders? And Jesus' response is, depart from me. I never knew you. But here, Make no mistake about it, Jesus has longevity in mind. Jesus has a strategy in mind. Jesus understands that success requires a successor. A true disciple makes disciples. Who are you discipling? Who are you building into? Who are you investing in with your very life? your time, your energy. In what ways does your whole life revolve around the mission, the commission of Jesus? Or is there in your life not a prioritization of the great commission, but the great omission? Jesus had longevity in mind. He had a strategy in mind. He had a long obedience in the same direction. He knew that success required a successor. And as the rabbi par excellence, as the teacher of teachers, he teaches us something today. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you also must have a long-term strategy of who you're investing in. What are you passing on to other people? What are you giving other people? How are people following what you're doing, watching what you're doing, and seeing noteworthy, praiseworthy for the glory of God, ways that you're revolving your life around him that they could say, I want to follow you as you are following Christ. That must be happening. If we are truly disciples of Jesus, if you are truly a follower of Jesus, then you will be doing what Jesus did. And one of the things that we take away from this passage is an understanding that Jesus invested in other people. How are you investing in other people? How? We've got an awesome church here. I love that we build in with children's programs and we have youth ministry. It's awesome to be able to do that. We teach the kids, kids scripture. We teach the children scripture. We have an Awana program that's phenomenal. Teaching the children how to memorize scripture and all of those things, they're great, they're important, they're priority for us as a church family. But those things are not designed to take the responsibility of discipleship for your children out of your household. The primary responsibility for parents and guardians is to raise up your children to memorize scripture, to understand the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of God, to live the teachings of Jesus in such a way that your children get wind of it. You've got to slow down long enough so that your children are discipled. There is a sense in which we are all called to be homeschoolers. And there's a sense in which every single one of us is a homeschooler. 
Every single one of us is right now, if we have children, if we're guardians, if we're parents and we have children in our household, or if you had children in your household, you were homeschooling. You are homeschooling your children. The question is, what are you training your children in? In what are you educating your children? How are your children or how were your children, how will your children be discipled to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Look with me at the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet. Malachi, look with me. Malachi chapter 2. Verse 15, Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Did he not make them one, speaking of marriage, with a portion of the Spirit in their union, meaning the Spirit of God? And what was the one God seeking godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence and says, says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Speaking of marriage, speaking of divorce, why does God hate divorce? Because it says in verse 15, what was the one God seeking godly offspring? This is why marriage is so important. The first institution created by God, important to God, because as the marriage goes, so goes the children. The objective in a marriage is to raise godly offspring. Why? Because because God says it in his word. That's what it means to be discipling your children. The objective, the bullseye, is to teach them how to follow God, teach them how to worship God, teach them the teachings of God as revealed in the scripture so that God has what he wants. We cannot farm out the discipleship out of our children to the church, although the church plays a key role in that. The parents play the first role. The guardians play the first role. Whether you realize it or not, your children are watching you and you're teaching your children how you handle your money for the glory of God or not for the glory of God. How you handle your time for the glory of God or not for the glory of God. How you handle conflict resolution for the glory of God or not for the glory of God. Whether or not your life is characterized by humility and teachability or by something else that's dishonorable to God. Listen, we all make mistakes. All of us do. It's called sin. It's serious. It's what sent Jesus to the cross. But the objective of your life and of mine is to live a way as a disciple, to live in such a way as a disciple that with growing momentum, with growing buy-in, there is a growing transformation because you're learning God, learning his word, putting it into action, and what you are now is not what you were a year ago. What you will be a year from now is not what you are today. And Lord willing, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you will become more like Jesus in character because you're following the teachings of the God who keeps his word. You're putting them into action. And that's what being a disciple is all about. You cannot farm out discipleship to of your children to other people. It falls upon the parents. It falls upon the guardian. And part of what we bought into in the body of Christ is farming out discipleship to the church. And then we wonder when our children reach the age of 17, 18, 
and they're emancipated and they go to college, they drop back and they punt. They want nothing to do with the God of the Bible who we talked about, but we didn't live for. Well, what do you want? No student's greater than his teacher. What you're teaching in your household, what I'm teaching in my household, you are homeschooling if you're a parent or a guardian. You will be homeschooling if you are a parent or a guardian in the future. You will be homeschooling. The question is what you will be teaching your children, not that you will be teaching your children. In addition, not just in the family, but also at work, in your neighborhood, as people watch you. As people see how you conduct yourself with others, you are demonstrating what discipleship looks like. Now, we can all look down our nose and look at faults and shortcomings of other people, but I have found it a good practice to spend the majority of my time focusing on my own walk with God and trying to get myself surrendered to Jesus so that everything that Jesus wants to accomplish in my life is prioritized. Because if you have not noticed it, the truth is that with the passage of time, I can be consumed and concerned about how other people are living and forget how I am. There's enough in my own life that Jesus is working on to keep me busy for a million lifetimes. And that's why I'm so thankful that I am a work in process and so are you. But the question for you and for me is, who are you building into? What long-term strategy do you have in your life where you are prioritizing building into others the way that Jesus is modeling here with the 12? Notice what Jesus says. It's counterintuitive. Verse 3, he said to them, Luke chapter 9, verse 3, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. See, the person who has one pair of underwear is more likely to succeed in the mission of Jesus than the person who has two. What? The intuitive thing is you need to put on a new clean pair of underwear every day. Your mother told you that, your father told you that, your guardian told you that. Put on a new pair of underwear every day. After all, you might be end up in the hospital or the, doc the doctor's office, and you don't want to embarrass yourself, which really you don't want to embarrass mommy and daddy by having a dirty pair of underwear. So the intuitive thing is, the fundamental thing is, you need to change your underwear every day. You need to put on a clean pair of underwear every day. But God is not always intuitive when it comes to his main objective, which is surrender. Absolute, complete surrender and dependence upon God. You see here what Jesus says? Don't take a staff. You don't need something to help you along the journey, to help keep you upright. Because who's going to keep you upright? Jesus will keep you upright. You don't need a bag with all your stuff in it for the journey. Some of us have bags with so much stuff in it, it's distracting us. Jesus says, you don't need to take a bag with all your stuff. Jesus doesn't need our stuff to build his kingdom. Look what, look what he says here. He says, nor bread. 
You don't need to bring your own sustenance. You need to depend upon God to supply for you. How about money? Well, Jesus, it takes money to build your kingdom. It takes money to go on a journey. We're going to have to stay places. We're going to have to buy things. Jesus says, no, you need to depend upon me. I will provide the money. I will provide the food. And how is Jesus doing that? Through other people. Interdependence is undervalued in American culture, but it's highly valued by God. God's work gets done in the power of the Spirit of God or it gets done not at all. The counterintuitive thing for you and for me is to depend upon God with absolute surrender, absolute dependence. Listen, God doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your bag. He doesn't need you to plan and to plot. He doesn't need you to try to figure it all out. He needs you to surrender. You can try to compensate for a lack of surrender all you want in your life. Listen, I did it myself for a long time. I'm not speaking from theory. I'm speaking from practice. You can try to compensate for a lack of surrender all you want, but it's getting you nowhere. What God needed in these 12 is what he needs in you. It's what Jesus needs in every true disciple. He needs absolute dependence upon Jesus, absolute surrender to Jesus. What you need to give Jesus as a disciple, as the epicenter of who you are, is surrender. If you give Jesus yourself in complete abandoned surrender, God will not abandon you. You don't need to bring all your stuff. You don't need to get more money before you can be effective for Jesus. You don't need to try to figure out how much food you're going to have and where you're going to get it. What you need to do is surrender to Jesus. It's high time we surrender to Jesus personally. It's high time our families were characterized by surrender. It's high time our churches, the sum is the whole of the parts, were characterized by surrender. It's high time that we rediscover the importance, the epicenter of what it means to be a disciple. The blueprint for what a disciple looks like is summarized in one word, one word only, surrender. Jesus will have your surrender, and you will be useful for Jesus, or Jesus will have neither of those. It's counterintuitive. The only thing that Jesus needs is a surrendered life when Jesus has it, then that surrendered life multiplies. The life of a disciple is characterized by replication. Healthy things grow. Healthy things replicate. Surrendered lives replicate, and that's what Jesus wants in you. Your whole life needs to be built upon the person, the works, the mission of Jesus. Everything else needs to go by the wayside. The stuff, the money, the worry and the distraction about other things. Listen, leave your business to God and get busy with God's business. Safest place to be. We've all spent too much time worrying and struggling and conniving about conditions in our own life and putting on the back burner what should be on the front burner, the ministry, the work of God. It's time to take God's work off the back burner, get it on the front burner, let God take care of your business, be about his business, and start investing in other people. Start replicating because that is the mark of a true disciple. Now, interesting here, verse 3, Jesus says, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, two pair of underwear. 
I was grieved not too long ago. I heard of a pastor in North Carolina. We used to live in North Carolina. I heard of a pastor of a very large and growing church, spent $1.7 million on his 16,000 square foot house. It's in the news down there. Maybe you've read about it yourself. Now, don't worry. He clarified it. He said it's not 16,000 square feet of living space. It's only 8,000 square feet of living space. So I feel much better about that, don't you? I mean, after all, he's got a family of five, and you need about 8,000 square feet to be able to live right for Jesus. No, unfortunately, that pastor, even though he has the capability, one way or another, of building a house that size, living in a house that size, not everything that is permissible is beneficial. I think it's a good idea for a pastor to have a house that reflects, generally speaking, the people to whom he ministers. To have a home that reflects the culture and the place in which, where he lives. I can tell you that the pastor of North Carolina doesn't live on that 19 acre piece of land, does not live among people who have 16,000 square foot homes. But he's a reminder for all of us. You don't have to build a 16,000 square foot home or an 8,000 square foot home to be off track. You don't have to be a pastor of a large church to get off track. You can start off on the right track, walking in surrender to Jesus, walking in abandonment to him, trusting and depending upon him for all of your needs, every single one of your needs, and with the passage of time, begin to rely upon self. Begin to provide for yourself. You can end up being hypocritical without even being intentional about it. Hypocrisy is not just doing something with intention. Many of us are unintentioned hypocrites. With the passage of time, Jesus, who called us to depend upon him, one of the hallmarks of being a true disciple, which is surrender and absolute dependence upon him, can go by the wayside, and instead, instead what's happening, we take the blessings of God and we turn them into our strength, which ends up being our weakness. Absolute dependence upon God, absolute surrender to God becomes a characteristic, a key characteristic, a fingerprint, part of the DNA of what a disciple is. And you and I can't be disciples of Jesus if we're not living surrendered lives. Now, it's interesting here, as we come to the end, what Luke does in introducing a major antagonist in this drama named Herod. Verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. This means at a loss of understanding. He's almost speechless. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. And by some that Elijah had appeared. This is Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. The idea is that God would send his servant Elijah, look at this, before the day of the messianic kingdom, the culmination. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This is why the Jewish people were saying, maybe this is Elijah. Maybe this is Elijah who has appeared. And Jesus actually interprets it elsewhere in the scriptures by saying Elijah did come, and it was John the Baptist. And so if Jesus is teaching that Elijah was the John the Baptist to come, then what does that say of Jesus? And this is the concern of Herod. I thought I beheaded John. I thought I got rid of that burr under my saddle. I thought I did that. 
So who is this? With 12 men following him, casting out demons, healing the sick? I've got a major problem on my hands. And Herod becomes concerned. And he begins to seek out opportunities, trying to see Jesus. Now, it's interesting earlier, verse 5, Jesus says to them, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. The idea is taking off your sandal, making sure there's no dirt on your sandal, shake off the dust. People will tell you all the time, Jesus wasn't condemning. We recreate God in our own image all the time. Jesus was milk toast. Jesus was just weak and love, 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 love. Yes, Jesus loved, but again, you can't love God unless you serve God on his terms. And this is very divisive terminology that Jesus is saying, don't water down the teachings of scripture. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out. And if nobody welcomes you, you go to a house and they don't welcome you, take off your sandals, get the dust off as a statement against them and to keep yourself from being defiled. Because what are the people doing by rejecting Jesus? They're rejecting God. And so, yes, the teachings of Jesus are about lifestyle. Yes, the teachings of Jesus are divisive. They are. And the teachings of Jesus are the business that you and me, if we really are disciples of Jesus Christ, we will follow the teachings of Jesus, put the teachings of Jesus into action, and we will be committed to teaching others the same. Because it is not possible. It is not possible to be a real disciple, a real follower of Jesus Christ, unless and until you are replicating. Because healthy things replicate. Healthy, mature disciples make other disciples. This is by definition what a disciple is. Somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus. Somebody who puts the teachings of Jesus into action in such ways that other people can look at their life. Other people can look at your life and follow you as you follow Christ. You've got to be intentional about it or unintentionally the main thing will no longer be the main thing. And the main thing, when it comes to being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to teach others to do the same. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. <laughs>